0: Lord, we come before you again in this time, Lord, and we ask that our minds be cleared and our hearts be soft to hear your word, Lord. May these words be specifically for us. May we receive them for us and not for anybody else, Lord. Lord, may the distractions of the world just fade away. May we just hear from you now, Lord. We need to hear from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All right, Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 1. As soon as it was morning, the chief priest had a meeting with the elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin. After tying Jesus up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said it. And the chief priest began to accuse him of many things. Then Pilate questioned him again, are you not answering anything? Look how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer anything. So Pilate was amazed. At the festival, it was Pilate's custom to release for the people a prisoner they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. So Pilate answered, him, answered them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, What do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again, they shouted, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted, Crucify him all the more. Then, willing to gratify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. It's now Friday morning in Jerusalem, and the religious leaders have already decided that Jesus deserved to die. The meeting they were having was to figure out how to convince the Roman governor to execute Jesus. You see, the, they knew that the Romans wouldn't execu- would never execute Jesus just for blasphemy. So according to Luke's gospel, according to Luke. 23 the charge was changed to treason They then handed him over to Pilate who was the Roman governor at the time Now just a little bit of background. I want to give you a little bit of a background about Pilate Pilate was appointed by Caesar to be the fifth governor of Judea He began reigning in AD 26 and ancient historians Philo and Josephus tell us that Pilate was inflexible, he was stubborn, and he was very cruel. During his tenure in Judea as governor, he put down several insurrections by protest by the Jews in brutal, brutal fashion. He was a well-known anti-Semite. Pilate hated the Jews and was always suspicious of them. So again, knowing that Pilate wouldn't execute someone for claiming to be God, bringing Jesus as a person to be king, they were counting on Pilate seeing Jesus as a political threat. You see, at the time, the law of the land was there was no king but Caesar. And as Caesar's representative, Pilate was responsible to enforce that law and quickly extinguish every political threat to the empire. So as Jesus is standing there, Pilate asks, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus then answered, You have said it. Now, it may not appear like it, but Jesus was emphatically affirming he was king. That's why he answered the way he did. You see, had Jesus simply answered yes to Pilate's question, Pilate would have immediately declared Jesus guilty of treason against Rome. We then read in verse 3 that the chief priests began accusing him of many things. Now, what are those many things? Well, Luke twi- again, Luke 23, verses 2 to 5, tell us what those many things were. They were saying that Jesus was inciting people to riot by not paying taxes, and that he fancied himself as king in political opposition to Rome. Pilate was unconvinced. So the accuses repeated and strengthened the third charge. He stirs at the people teaching throughout all of Judea from Galilee, where he started, even here. After hearing the charges, against pi against jesus pilate encouraged him to defend himself but jesus remained silent and this completely amazed them this completely amazed Pilate. you see he, he was seeing in jesus this peaceful demeanor that Pilate had never seen before all these religious leaders were just throwing accusations and charges and, and he just stood there. You know, I mean, you can imagine what that peaceful demeanor was. But maybe Pilate was so used to seeing some of these prisoners beg for their lives. No, Pilate, please, please, they're lying and they're not, they're not telling you the truth. Please let me go, I don't deserve to die. That's what I think. Pilate was just used to seeing that and hearing that. But here Jesus is with a peaceful demeanor. All these charges, as all these charges are being thrown at him. And it's amazed him. In verse 6, Mark begins to explain how Pilate had a Passover tradition granting full amnesty to one prisoner, by request so he gave the crowd an option to decide who he should free between two prisoners you have one prisoner named Barabbas who was a well-known insurrectionist and a murderer now an insurrectionist I guess now the, the, the equivalent of an insurrectionist today you would probably label him as a terrorist as a domestic terrorist the other person was a person standing there right before him, prisoner named Jesus, who he believed was innocent. Now according to Luke 23, Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, and the chief priests had manipulated the situation out of pure envy of Jesus' popularity. So because of his hatred, because of Pilate's hatred towards these chief priests, Pilate thought he can outsmart them by using this tradition to free Jesus and in the process frustrate them. The problem was Pilate's assumption that the crowds would be on Jesus' side and that they would be open to his suggestion that Jesus be released, that Jesus be granted amnesty. Unfortunately, he didn't take into account a couple of factors. The Jewish leaders ability to manipulate the crowd and that they would choose Barabbas over Jesus just to be against the Roman governor that they hated just as much as he hated them now that sounds familiar I think I was as I was preparing this um I was thinking about how the state of affairs are today you have all these people protesting out in the streets And no matter what our leaders say or no matter what the president says, it's like, no, he's wrong. He's wrong. There's a a hatred there. And no matter what good he does or tries to do, people are against it. There's nothing good he can do in, in the eyes of some people. But again, this was the attitude. This was the attitude of the people towards the governor. And again, the governor hated these people just as much as they hated him. So for them, the choice was simple. They preferred to have a terrorist released than to agree to the suggestion of releasing an innocent man. Now the crowd had chosen Barabbas to be set free. Pilate foolishly and inexplicably asked the crowd in verse 12, then what do you want me to do with the one you called the king of the Jews? Here again, he falsely assumed they might choose a lighter punishment. And if this was the case, Pilate was probably surprised and horrified as he heard the shouts of crucify him. And as they got louder and louder, I'm sure he was in utter dismay. Again, he he knew Jesus was innocent. In the other Gospels, Luke especially, we hear how he struggled with his conversations with Jesus and, and knowing he had done nothing wrong. So he's hearing from the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. And things are starting to get tense. And he senses a possible riot forming if he decides to let Jesus go. Now, history again tells us that Pilate had already made a few mistakes. His superiors were close to firing him, letting him go. Um, His job was on the line. And he didn't want things to get out of control. And he didn't want to get in trouble with those that were above him. So he decided to comply with the demands of the crowd. He released... Barabbas, and began the process of execution by having Jesus flogged. Now, in case you weren't familiar, first century flogging was a brutal beating from a leather whip studded with pieces of bone, lead, or brass. I have an image here. This is basically called a flag room. This is what historians believe the, Romans govern- uh, the, the Roman soldiers used when it came to flogging prisoners. It had a wooden handle, leather thong, uh, thongs, uh, small bones pieces, metal balls. And this is how they believe um, they would start whipping their prisoners. And they just would do it over and over and over. And here's what we see, the direction of the whip marks they would cut the flesh, they would rip open the flesh. It was an intense, brutal beating. In the Journal of the American Medical Association, Dr. William Edwards said this, as the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victim's back with full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions and the leather thongs and sheep bones would cut into the skin and subcutaneous and subcutaneous tissues then as the flogging continued the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh pain and blood blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory circulatory shock the extent of blood loss may well have been determined by how long the victim would survive the cross. Now, before I move on to the next portion of our reading this morning, I want to look at a couple questions Pilate asked that are important for us to answer as well. The first question is found in verse 9. but I'm, However, I'm going to read to you how this question was asked from, Matthew, from Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew 27, 17, Pilate asks, who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Although this was a choice presented to the Jewish crowd, every day we're also presented with choices that are held in front of our faces. Maybe not as extremely overblown or in full view of the public, but more than likely in a more quiet and subtle way. These are the kind of choices that come unannounced by the lies of the devil and the temptations of the world. These choices disguise themselves as mere entertainments, little white lies, Things I owe myself and things everybody's doing. Harmless pleasures and necessary urgencies. If you're not spiritually equipped to recognize them, when these choices are presented, you might, as, you might be easily tempted to choose to release them back into your life instead of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a couple questions. How often do you recognize the choice that has been offered to you and that you've chosen to leave Christ in the hands of Pilate, condemned outside your life? How often have you chosen to release the murderer and thief back into your life because he served your purposes? When we make the mistake of pleasing the crowd, Or ourselves we fail to recognize that the murderer we released back into the world has been sent to murder Christ in us one tiny knife cut at a time we don't believe that the thief we've given back into the world is the one who's been commissioned to steal part of our souls every day when you're presented with choices, there, Jesus is on trial. God has given you the freedom to decide who to release, Barabbas or Jesus. One will give you life, while the other wants to imprison and torture you. The second question Pilate asks that's important for us to answer is found in verse 12. What do you want me to do with the one you call King of the Jews? This is the question everyone must answer for themselves. They must answer in their own heart. But you've got to do something with him. Your choices are to believe in him or not believe in him. To either accept him or reject him. You see, when it comes to your opinion of Jesus, it's impossible to stay neutral. Not to receive him is to reject him, and not to confess him is to deny him. You must make your own decisions about Jesus Christ. Nobody can make them for you. And whatever you decide, you alone are responsible for that decision. And the irony of it all is that when you judge for yourself concerning Christ, it's not His destiny you're determining, it's your own. Believing and confessing saves you. It says in Romans ten nine, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Not believing in Him, condemns you to eternal separation in hell. Pastor Chuck Smith said this, It's a very heavy thing. I am the judge, but yet it is my fate that's being determined by the judgment I make. What Jesus is, he is. You can't change it. What he is, he he, he has always been and always will be. Your decision concerning him will not affect him at all, but it will determine where you spend eternity. All right, let's move on verse 16. Chapter 15 verse 16. Then the soldiers led him away into the courtyard that is the headquarters and are called and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. They kept hitting him on the head with a reed and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe, put his clothes back on him, and led him out to crucify him. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was, Simon, he was Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means skull place. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Then they crucified him, divided his clothes, casting lots for him to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription charged written against them was the king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. So that the scripture was fulfilled that, that says, and he was counted among outlaws. Those who passed were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, ha the one who would demolish the sanctuary and build it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him to one another, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him were taunting him." I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like watching Jesus movies that depict, that depict Jesus' crucifixion. I know it's just a depiction. I know it's, it's, it's Hollywood, and these are all props, and no one's really getting hurt. But just the mere thought, the image, that um, that's what Jesus may have gone through. The scourging, the whipping, the, the crucifixion. Man, it breaks my heart every single time. And I feel myself getting choked up. And the reason I feel that way is because I know that my sins are the ones that placed them there. Yeah, these, you know, Pilate and these soldiers and the chief priest, they all had a role at that time to put Jesus on the cross. But it was my sins that placed him there. And knowing what He did for me on that cross and seeing just the pain, the torture, it just breaks me. It, I'm, and I'm like, Lord, why did you do that for me? Why? Why did you suffer like that for me? And it hits me hard. You know, even the, the thought of it, you know, makes me want to choke up. But that's how much He loved me. That's how much He cared for me. That's how much He he suffered that for me and he suffered that for you. That's why I don't like watching these movies. You know, it's already hard enough reading about it. So exhausted, weak, bloodied, Jesus was taken to the governor's residence where 600 Roman soldiers began to mock, humiliate, and beat him. Let's look at some of the things they did. They stripped him And put a purple or scarlet Some of your translation may say scarlet Robe on him This clothing color was reserved for royalty Which was a way of mocking him For claiming to be king Then they put a crown of thorns on his head Thick, heavy thorns on his head And just pressed it with all their strength On his head then they began to mockingly, mockingly salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. In the way they would greet and salute the Roman emperor at the time. Then they got this reed and beat his head with it. And then they spat on him. Imagine 600 Roman soldiers all spitting on you. Straight nastiness. He's already covered in blood, he's already beaten to a pulp, skins exposed, and you have 600 Roman soldiers spitting at you. And then they continued mocking him by kneeling and pretending to worship him. Finally, after having enough of their fun, they stripped him again and put his clothes back on and led him out to be crucified. Now, after a scourging, Romans advertised crucifixion by forcing a man to march in a parade. He was led by a soldier on a horse, and another who shouted the crime of the condemned. This was done to bring fear to those who ever thought about offending Rome. Now this is again a controversial point, but he was either forced to carry an entire cross, weighing about 300 pounds, or the victim carried a crossbar, which weighed anywhere from 75 to 100, 125 pounds. And usually, he was stripped naked and his hands were often tied to the wooden beam. Again, imagine Jesus being paraded there to the place where he's gonna cru- be crucified And he's just, again, covered in blood. Mocked, humiliated. He's already been beaten the night before by the chief priests. He is in intense pain. He's probably weak. Doesn't have any energy. Verse 21 then tells us that as Jesus was... Carrying this cross, they forced a man named Simon to carry Jesus's cross. Now every condemned prisoner had to carry their own plot, their own cross to the place of execution. they knew these Roman soldiers knew he was going to make it and they were doing their best they would do anything they could to keep the prisoner alive because the point was to get him to that cross so that he's crucified, so that he knows and feels the torture. And then they would kill him. So they would do anything possible to keep their prisoner alive. They grabbed a man named Simon just to help him with his cross. Because he was too weak to carry it on his own. And finally, when they got to Golgotha, the Bible here tells us, our scripture here tells us that um, it's also called the place of the skull. And in Latin. That word is Calvary. When he gets there, to Calvary. Verse 23 tells us that they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. Jesus refused because he didn't want any drug to numb numb his pain. He chose to face the agony of the cross with a clear mind and without medication. Afterwards, Jesus' hands and feet were nailed to the cross, and then he was elevated. Down below, the soldiers began to play dice, cast lots for Jesus' clothes to see what each would get as a memory token. Now, unbeknownst to them, they were fulfilling yet another prophecy found in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Now above him, a sign was placed listing the crime that prompted the execution. Now judging from the reports of all the Gospels, the inscription probably read, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Alongside him, to the right and to the left, Were two thieves, fulfilling yet another prophecy found in Isaiah 53, 12. These two, many believe that these two thieves were probably associates of Barabbas. They were also insurrectionists. They were also terrorists who had already received their punishment for their crimes. Now, as Jesus hung on the cross, he continued to endure the taunts of others first by the various passers-by that reviled him over his statement destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up now I I know when people misrepresent me and maybe this you you could agree when they misquote me it's very easy for me to say I didn't say that it's not me I didn't say that that was but Jesus didn't even do that. When he was being tried against the, in, in the, with the Pharisees, with the uh, Sanhedrin, these charges were being brought up, or these false quotes were being brought up, and they had already been proven that he didn't say it. They couldn't, their stories didn't line up. But yet there on the cross, they continued to use misquote him, and Jesus didn't say anything. Then the chief priests mocked him for his apparent inability to save himself from the execution. But Jesus was not about saving himself. He was about saving his people, which required him to stay on that cross until the bitter end. And then finally, Mark tells us that even the two robbers who were crucified with him reviled him. Now, thankfully, we know from Luke's gospel that one of those robbers came to faith before he died that day. One of them was mocking him and and reviling him. And then he came to that conclusion, man, Jesus is innocent. And that day before he died, Jesus assured him that he was going to be with him in eternity. Now from the moment Jesus was was arrested up until this point, here are just a few things that he endured. He was betrayed by a friend, unlawfully arrested, and abandoned by his disciples. He was illegally tried, unlawfully judged, and physically assaulted by the religious leaders. And after being unjustly condemned to die by Pilate, he was abused, mocked, and tormented. This is what Doctor—I I quoted him before—but Doctor William Edwards said about a typical Roman crucifixion. Now, bear with me; it's a, it's a little bit of a reading here. But it says the victim's back was first torn open by the scourging. Then the clotting blood was ripped open again when the clothes were tra- torn off the victim. When he was thrown to the ground to fix his hands on the crossbeam, the wounds were torn open again and contaminated and contaminated with dirt. Then as he hung on the cross, each breath made the painful wounds on the back scrape against the rough wood of the upright beam. When the nail was driven through the wrists, it severed the large median nerve going to the hand. The stimulated nerve produced excruciating bolts of fiery pain in both arms, and can result in a a claw-like grip in the victim's hands. Beyond the excruciating pain, The posture of the crucifixion made it painful to simply breathe. The weight of the body pulling down on the arms and shoulders made it feel like you can breathe in, but not out. The lack of oxygen led to severe muscle cramps, which made it even harder to breathe. To get a good breath, one had to push his feet and flexed the elbows pulling from the shoulders, pulling, pulling from the shoulders. Putting the weight of the body on the nail-pierced feet produced, produced searing pain. And flexing the elbows, twisted the hands hanging on the nails. Lifting the body for breath, also scraped the wounds, the open wounds on the back against the rough wooden post. Each effort to get a proper breath, was agonizing, exhausting, and led to a quicker death. Not uncommonly, insects would light upon, upon or burrow into the open wounds, eyes, ears, and nose of the dying and helpless victim. And the birds would pray and tear at these sights. Moreover, It was customary to leave the corpse on the cross to be devoured by predatory animals. I hope that paints a picture for you about the suffering of Christ, what he endured there on the cross. Jesus endured the suffering on the cross willingly, quietly, with dignity, And without resistance. Why? Why did he do that? Why did he suffer that way for you? So that your sins may be forgiven. And so that you may be reconciled with God. If you don't mind, I want you to turn into your Bibles to to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I want to show you something. and I want you to see what I mean. Romans is right after Acts. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were yet and while we were still sinners Christ died for us much more then since we have now been declared righteous by his blood we will be saved through him from wrath for while we were enemies we were reconciled to god through the death of his son then how much more having been reconciled will we have will we be saved by his life that was the goal of the crucifixion. That's why he was crucified. That's why he endured the suffering, the torment, the torture of the cross for you, for that reconciliation. What do you think about when that crosses your mind? Well, it makes me thankful that he suffered that for me, and it helps me. From sinning, from doing the wrong thing, I don't want to. I don't want to continue. I don't want to have this knowledge. Know that He he did this for me, and just say, you know what? I'm just going to do my own thing, you know. I I know Jesus, You suffered for me, and I'm thankful. But oh well, you know, I'm going to just continue in my own sin. I'm going to continue you know, whatever it may be for your life. How could you, It just, it's, you can't ignore it. How could you just, what kind of a person does that make you if you just ignore the fact that He did that for you? He died on the cross for you. He suffered that and you just, it doesn't mean anything to you. Now, if you're not saved... If you don't understand the cross, I understand. I mean, the cross is, is, we're told that it's foolishness for those who don't believe. But maybe you're starting to really realize, hey, you know what? I want that reconciliation. I want my sins to be forgiven. And he'll offer that to you. See, Jesus Christ was humiliated, abused, and physically afflicted for you and for me. Jesus should have been honored, but instead, he was abused and mocked. He understood and accepted that this was the only way to reconcile humanity with God. He took upon himself the punishment that we deserved. We deserved that punishment for our sins. Jesus never sinned. He was innocent. He never did anything wrong, but he took for himself this punishment for us. Listen to the prophetic words found in Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 5 regarding Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. Isaiah makes it clear that the suffering was not without a purpose. Christ went through his passion to bear our griefs and sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. By his suffering and death, he atoned for the sins of his people. Jesus' passion on the cross ought to move us to be passionate about him. Here's how John Piper put it. Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross. Cherish it for the treasure that it is and cleave to it as as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort of every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. Next week, we're gonna look at Jesus's death, what Jesus' death accomplished. But my goal this week was to show you the significance of his crucifixion. The cross of Jesus offers you the forgiveness of your sins and reconciliation with God Maybe you don't know where you're at and maybe, maybe you just don't know if you've been reconciled or maybe you have been reconciled and you've walked away and, you're li- and you've just began to, to live in the old lifestyle you used to have. You've walked away from the cross, you've lost sight of the crucified Jesus and now He doesn't mean as much to you anymore. And after hearing this you're now like, that's, that's what I want. Well, I urge you, I encourage you, just get your eyes back on the cross. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Focus on Him. He will forgive you. He will comfort you. There is nothing too sinful, too horrible that you've done that he can't forgive. As I mentioned last week, I know. I've, I've been there. There were times I even thought he could never forgive me again. But he does over and over and over again. No matter how many times we screw up, no matter how many times we keep making the same mistake, no matter how many times we say, oh, I'm never going to do that again. He will. That's why He went on the cross, to forgive you. But at the same time, it comes a point where you're just, you have to just learn from your mistakes. Walk away, repenting. That's what repenting is. Walking away from your sin. Not just saying it and pretending like, and think that you're never going to do it again. No, it's actually walking away from your sin. But again, if that's what you want, if you've never had that, if you've never had that reconciliation, we're going to pray in a minute, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer to do that. But you must place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you have at one time. Come back to Him. Come back to that place you were before where you were broken and you were crushed and you realized that you, I mentioned this last week, at the bottom of your downward spiral. Remember how far you've fallen. Remember how far you were and cry out to Jesus. Ask him to renew you, to strengthen you, and he will. He loves you. That cross represents his love for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son understand that. Let's pray. Forgive us for taking you for granted, taking your suffering for granted, especially if we've received it and accepted it and have walked away. remind us every day, every moment what you've done in that, what you did in that cross God, what you put your son through remind us of those things Lord, especially when we're confronted with choices, give us the strength we need Lord to continue walking in your ways as I mentioned earlier, if you've never, if that's what you want and you want that reconciliation and you want your forgiveness of sin, in the quietness of your heart, wherever you're at, whether you're watching or listening, just close your eyes and cry out to Lord, to, 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 to God. Forgive me, Father, for my sins. Forgive me for all those things I've ever done to hurt you and to hurt others. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe that He is God. And I'm asking right now, Lord that I want to be reconciled with you. And I believe that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I accept your forgiveness, Lord. And I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. That I may walk with you for the rest of my life. Fill me with your love. give me the strength to turn back from all those things that hindered me before. Lord, I pray for those who prayed that. May they find good people, Christian men and women, that will guide them, that will disciple them. May they find good churches to go to, to hear from your word. Keep us united in Christ. And may we just have hearts to minister to one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.